everyone, this is Dr. Michael Walden. Thank you so much for joining me today on Ask the Blood Detective. Today's show is everything you have ever wanted to know, did not want to know, and didn't think you should know about the thyroid gland. You know, in thinking about this topic, I'm, I'm a bit surprised that I hadn't decided to do a dedicated show on the thyroid before. I mean, after all, the thyroid gland is pivotal to your general health and well-being. And what I mean by that molecularly is that there is not a tissue in your body that does not have thyroid hormone receptors. And for those of you who are not quite sure about what thyroid receptors are, they're basically, they're basically areas on a cell or in a cell membrane that have a space for thyroid hormone. And not every hormone has receptors on every tissue, but thyroid hormone is special. So, I'm going to begin today first by introducing myself to all the new listeners. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. I'm the supervisor of nutritional services at Integrated Nutrition of Mount Kisco, and I'm located in Mount Kisco, New York, and Westchester. That's about an hour north of New York City. And uh, I would encourage you all to continue to send me show ideas and questions. That's, after all, how I came up with uh, doing a thyroid uh, show today was because a lot of you out there simply wanted me to cut through the morass and the misinformation out there about thyroid. So send me your questions either to my email at info at, that's information, info at blooddetective.com, or you can post the questions on my blog, which you'll find at either blooddetective.com or integratednutritionny.com. All of my other prior shows, by the way, of Ask the Blood Detective, you can find under the blog section of the website. You'll also find, find many videos and testimonials, those sorts of things. Okay, now back to the thyroid gland. Let's start with a little bit of basic anatomy. The thyroid gland is a butterfly-shaped gland that's located in men above your Adam's apple and in women at around that location. And the thyroid gland is uh, essential for a number of functions and some of which we probably have not discovered yet, but the key one that we all do know is the control of metabolic rate. And metabolic rate is a term that has to do with how cells produce energy. And that's why when someone has a low thyroid function, what we call hypothyroidism, and there's different types of hypothyroidism, we're going to discuss that in a few minutes. But when someone has a low thyroid function, metabolic rate slows down and they may feel lethargic or may experience malaise, which is a deeper seated sort of fatigue. They may feel cold often. They may have dry skin, brittle hair, nails, teeth, a greater propensity for osteoporosis, digestive problems, again, because the thyroid is involved in metabolic rate and also uh, has indirect relationships to uh, digestion. And the thyroid also talks with many other hormones in the body. And this is an important point. So 
We all have had thyroid tests done. We've had our blood work checked at some point in our lives, and the doctor has measured hormones known as T4, uh, T3, or what we call total T4, or total T3, or free T3, or free T4, along with TSH. TSH stands for thyroid stimulating hormone, and the TSH is almost always part of the thyroid hormone set of tests, what we call the thyroid indices. Although I must admit, uh, alarmingly, I've seen patients that have come to me with laboratory work and there's no TSH. We know that thyroid hormone testing is not perfect, that's for sure. But the most accurate of all of the so-called thyroid hormone tests is the TSH. Now I say so-called thyroid hormone test because the thyroid stimulating hormone is not produced by the thyroid. It's produced by what gland? The anterior pituitary gland in the brain. So the anterior pituitary gland secretes a lot of different hormones. And think of that high up in your head, just for illustration. And then the thyroid stimulating hormone, the TSH, is secreted by the anterior pituitary. And that talks to the thyroid gland itself. So thyroid stimulating hormone, TSH, stimulates the thyroid to make thyroid hormone. So if someone, and you'll need to listen to this carefully because this is an area of confusion, how to read the thyroid tests, is if someone has a high TSH or high normal TSH on blood work, that generally means they have hypo or low thyroidism. Okay, so let me say that again. If you were to think of a seesaw, and on one end of the seesaw, it's down on the ground and the other is up in the air. If the TSH is the side that's up in the air, then the thyroid hormones, the T3, T4, are the ones on the ground, right? So when TSH is high or high normal in a blood, blood test, then the T3 and T4 will almost always go opposite. So TSH high, it means hypothyroidism low. In the reverse, if TSH is low or low normal, thyroid hormones are high, and that means hyperthyroidism. Now, sometimes, okay, we're going to go a step further. This is the blood detective level of thinking here. Sometimes the TSH can be high or high normal, which means on the, the way towards hypothyroidism, but the thyroid hormones are actually about even in the, their normal range. In other words, the thyroid hormones stay where they are. Let me repeat that. The thyroid hormones can stay where they are. And when the TSH is high or high normal, that means the problem of the thyroid is not caused by the thyroid. It's caused by the anterior pituitary gland. That is a level of deeper understanding of how to properly read the thyroid hormone tests and the anterior pituitary hormone, thyroid stimulating hormone, or TSH, because I've seen even doctors make the mistake of not noticing that pattern. So the easy pattern is TSH high, hypothyroidism, TSH low, hyperthyroidism, and then if the TSH is high, and the thyroid hormones are in the normal range, we have an anterior pituitary problem. Why is it so important? Why is it so important to read these tests right? If we read the tests wrong, then we focus only on the thyroid gland, when the thyroid gland, although affected, uh, may be 
secondary to the real problem, which could be the anterior pituitary. Now let's go even further. I said a few minutes ago that the thyroid gland coordinates itself with a number of other hormones. One of them is thyroid stimulating hormone. But the thyroid gland also has a relationship with the adrenal glands. And we'll, we'll be doing a whole show very soon all about the adrenal glands. We're going to get that straight. A lot of misinformation out there about the adrenals. And we don't have a lot of time today to talk about all of the complex, very interesting, and very practical relationships between the thyroid hormone and other hormones, but suffice it to say that they exist. Some information on this you will find in my radio show called Nutritional Endocrinology. Nutritional Endocrinology. Got a lot of great feedback on that particular show. It just occurred to me that it's also a nice book titled Nutritional Endocrinology. (laughs) Maybe I'll do that one day. But listen to that show if you really want to understand hormones and hormone receptors better and how nutrition relates to hormones and all of that good stuff. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to talk about the different types of hypothyroidism, low thyroid. But before I do that, just a couple of quick words about the opposite condition, and that is, you guessed it, hyperthyroidism. So hyperthyroidism is exactly what it sounds like. Thyroid hormone levels are high. And when thyroid hormone levels are high, this is generally uh, in the context of a condition known as Graves' disease. Now, Graves' disease is uh, a form of hyperthyroidism, and it simply means that the thyroid hormone is making too much hormone. And the pituitary may also be signaling that thyroid inappropriately to continually produce thyroid hormone. So those individuals usually have palpitations, meaning their heart is racing. They feel funny things in their chest. They sweat very easily or always have a bit of a sweat going on. Uh, They may have severe osteoporosis, any number of nutritional deficiencies. Think about it. If the thyroid is on hyperdrive, then you're going to burn through nutrition big time, big time. Even how you manage medications is affected. Your temperature regulation is off. You'll generally feel hot. You'll tend to have uh, diarrhea or loose or very frequent or too frequent bowel movements, which means that the intestinal tract is, again, on hyperdrive. And that also might result in some malabsorption as, nutrition, I mean, as foods may run through your, your small intestine too fast. And again, we can go on and on about hyperthyroidism, but this is a show today about hypothyroidism. So we're going to talk about the two main types of hypothyroidism. Here we go. I thought it would be interesting to actually uh, read some of my notes, uh, given the research I've done on uh, thyroid function, because there's all this... Uh, information out there that so much of what we hear in, on natural health radio is just not true. So I go right to these sources. And there's what's known as uh, PubMed.com, PublishedMedicalArticles.com. And this is the national uh, database of research. Many of you have heard me talk about this on past shows that has, uh, well, it goes back from 1966 to the present. There's nearly 3 million uh, scientific uh, citations and journal articles there. So here's one that talks about how Hashimoto's thyroiditis is an important risk factor of papillary thyroid microcarcinoma in young adults. What this is saying is that 
People who have a form of hypothyroidism called Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune thyroid disease, are at substantially increased risk of developing thyroid cancer. Almost none of my patients, actually I would have to go so far as to say is I've never met a patient that has seen me with Hashimoto's that was ever told about this risk factor. And they were also never told that other family members uh, should be uh, examined for uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So what this article also says is that Hashimoto's thyroiditis, yes, as I just mentioned, substantially increases the risk of thyroid cancer. But it goes further to say that there are lab tests called thyroid antibodies, that the higher they are, the greater the risk of thyroid cancer. So let me back up. There is hypothyroidism that has nothing to do with your immune system. You have high TSH and your doctor has not found, but he or she has looked for thyroid antibodies and has found none. So you have a non-autoimmune form of low thyroid that could be caused by any number of factors that we'll get to in a moment. But then, on the other hand, there is hypothyroidism with a high TSH on the blood work, right? But the blood work happens to show the presence of one or possibly two thyroid antibodies. Now, I'm going to distinguish these two antibodies for you because it matters, nutritionally speaking, and I rarely ever see this distinction on, in anything I've read. Number one, you have a thyroid gland. You can have antibodies against your thyroid gland as a whole. Those are called thyroid, or I should say thyroglobulin antibodies, thyroglobulin antibodies. This article just said the higher your thyroglobulin antibodies, the greater your risk of thyroid cancer particularly if you're young. The other form of antibody against your thyroid gland, but more specifically, not the gland, but the enzyme that converts T4 thyroid hormone to T3 thyroid hormone. Think of it this way. Hold your hand up in the air, way above, in your hand now, it's above your head, that's T4 and your elbow's T3. In order for T4 to slide down and become T3, an enzyme has to intersect in the middle of those two. And that enzyme is called thyroid peroxidase. Anything ending in an ASE, you remember from your early chemistry and biology classes, means it's an enzyme. And enzymes control the rate of reactions, either speeding them up or slowing them down. So T4 becomes T3, but if you have an autoimmune hypothyroidism, a.k.a. Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you may have antibodies against that enzyme, not against the thyroid gland, but against the enzyme. You may have that antibody against the enzyme, and you also may have antibodies against the protein structures of the thyroid. So in other words, we have two antibodies, one or both may be present in Hashimoto's thyroiditis, If one or the other is present, or both, your doctor, generally an endocrinologist, will say, yes, you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, and then they will say, don't worry about it, we're going to give you Synthroid or some other form of uh, synthetic thyroid hormone, and that's what there is to do. And then if you knew a little something, you would say, but doc, um, 
you know, I heard that these antibodies uh, increase my risk of thyroid cancer. And then the doctor will say, oh, well, yeah, we don't really know if that's true, but, you know, we'll, we'll check your thyroid antibodies again at some point. And if you really push it, uh, the doctor might say, well, okay, well, well, I don't feel anything when I palpate your thyroid gland other than it may be maybe slightly enlarged, which is what I expect, but I'll send you for an ultrasound of your thyroid. And then the ultrasound might find some thyroid cysts that are generally considered benign, although I don't. And uh, then your doctor will say, well, okay, that's a benign finding. And we continue to just change your dose of Synthroid because uh, at different periods of time during the, the, the time you take this medication, your body's going to use it differently. So we'll have to make adjustments. And then if you have a really good doctor, they'll actually tell you what some of the overdose symptoms are of hyperthyroid induced by taking too much thyroid hormone. And or they will educate you about what are the hypothyroid signs that you might experience if you are underdosed. But we do know that as useful as thyroid hormone may be for leveling out thyroid levels on a blood test and even correcting lots of symptoms and improving your quality of life is that it will and does seem to statistically increase one's risk of osteoporosis. Uh, thyroid uh, cancer, and a bunch of other problems. So none of these medications are without risks. That's why we want to look at nutrition for safe ways to offset these risks, for example. And I'm going to review this a number of times as we continue to reinforce these key ideas. If you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, meaning you have one or the other thyroid antibodies present, if you have the thyroid peroxidase antibody, Research shows that if you take selenomethionine, a particular form of selenium, that that selenium will actually improve your body's use of thyroid hormone. Okay, we're going to say more about this in a second. So let me reiterate a couple things. So Hashimoto's is a form of autoimmune thyroid disease. It's actually considered the most common autoimmune disease there is. And what I haven't said yet, which is really important for you to know, is that when a person has one autoimmune disease, they tend to develop others. So with Hashimoto's and some of these other autoimmune problems, it's currently accepted that Hashimoto's is caused fundamentally by a genetic susceptibility, number one, and also environmental factors, maybe heavy metals in the environment, electromagnetic forces, radiation forces, nutritional issues, stress factors and also immune disorders that you may have that you don't know about or you might know about also contribute to the development of thyroid or Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So with regard to nutritional factors, number one, and this is going to surprise a lot of you, there's a good amount of evidence that implicates high iodine intake and deficiencies of selenium and iron and low vitamin D as increasing the risk of Hashimoto's thyroiditis. In other words, let me say it again, if you take too much iodine, you could actually cause Hashimoto's thyroiditis. This is in contrast to a lot of what we have all heard about taking iodine to improve thyroid function. I am not saying that a person, that there are no circumstances in which you would not want to take iodine for your thyroid, but this should be done under supervision and in very specific cases, not in this just general way. Everyone's taking uh, 
iodine, thinking that's going to help their thyroid, and particularly if you're not deficient in iodine. You see, the thyroid hormone T4 and T3 are called T4 and T3 because T4 is a molecule, T for tyrosine, that's an amino acid, that can hold four iodines, T4. And then T4 must become T3 in order for your body to use that very uh, reliable, uh, powerful form of thyroid hormone, T3. But your body has to remove an iodine from T4 to do that, right? T4 has to become T3. You have to minus an iodine. That's called deionization. But if someone overloads themselves with T4, it's a stress on the thyroid gland and the thyroid gland starts to oxidize and undergo inflammation and then autoimmune changes. If a person, if you happen to have a deficiency of selenium, that would make your chances of developing Hashimoto's thyroiditis and cancer, by the way, much higher. And I also see a combination of people with Selenium imbalances, iron anemia, and low vitamin D, there's a relationship there between not just thyroid status, but a lot of health problems. You all know about the myriad of health issues that can result from deficiencies of just vitamin D. But vitamin D is uh, needed for many aspects of of thyroid uh, function. So are B vitamins. And yes, so is iodine when it's deficient. So um, what we know here is that Chronic exposure to excess iodine does induce autoimmune thyroiditis, particularly because a lot of iodine will bind with thyroglobulin, and the thyroglobulin is very immunogenic, meaning it can cause immune problems, and that's what Hashimoto's is. And because we also know that certain proteins known as selenoproteins are essential to thyroid action, and function, if someone has uh, selenium deficiencies, that would be an issue as well. Without proper selenium, for example, you cannot properly use an enzyme in the body known as glutathione peroxidase. And the role of glutathione is that it removes excessive hydrogen peroxide uh, molecules that are formed when thyroid hormone is produced. All you need to know from that statement is the body makes hydrogen peroxide, which is a very damaging molecule. Now, you're thinking, well, wait a second. I I drink hydrogen peroxide because I was told it was good for me, and I receive intravenous hydrogen peroxide. There are lots of problems with with both of those uh, administrations of hydrogen peroxide, Um, and we don't have the time to, to really get into those now, but I will say that the body, of course, does have uh, uh, does benefit from the production of hydrogen peroxide. For example, when a white blood cell senses a fungus or a parasite or a bacterium or a virus or a prion or whatever the infection agent the infectious agent is, the white blood cell goes to the area and then it releases hydrogen peroxide, which actually helps to kill off those bugs. So we need to maintain good immunity so that there's a controlled release of hydrogen peroxide, not just some arbitrary amount of hydrogen peroxide put in your vein or that you swallow. So that, there's a lot of that dangerous practice going on. And moving on, we also know that deficiencies of iron, like chronic anemia, impairs thyroid metabolism. 
And the reason for that is because the thyroid peroxidase enzyme that I mentioned, those one of the two enzymes, or I should say an enzyme that the body can form antibodies against, preventing the body from turning T4 into T3, that enzyme is a what they it's an iron containing enzyme and it becomes you know active in the thyroid cells known as thyrocytes but it does not if there is iron anemia do not go out there and just swallow a bunch of iron um, I use special types of iron that are extremely tolerable and you only recommend iron once you know the cause of iron anemia it may or may not be just diet it may be internal bleeding. There may be anemia from what's called chronic disease. And if you take iron, too much iron can increase risk of all kinds of local problems like gastritis, but not to mention cancer and cardiovascular disease. What's really interesting uh, back around to vitamin D is that there's what's known as an inverse relationship between the blood levels of vitamin D and both of those thyroid and that thyroid enzyme antibody. In other words, Thyroid peroxidase antibodies and thyroglobulin antibodies, the higher they are, usually the lower the vitamin D level. And as far as vitamin D is concerned, if you were to come to me and you have a low vitamin D and you're of normal weight, we're gonna, I'm going to recommend to you 50,000 units of vitamin D to be taken once a week for eight weeks. And at the end of the eight weeks, we're going to check your vitamin D again, and then we're going to adjust your vitamin D dose. So it's always important to look at iron status selenium status, vitamin D status, protein status, because proteins are made of amino acids. One of those amino acids important for thyroid function is tyrosine. Remember the, the one that is the T in T3 and T4? And of course, iodine status, but also vitamin A, even CoQ10. All of these factors are responsible for proper thyroid function. But the thyroid could be thrown off from any number of problems that exist in the body. Remember I said earlier that problems with your thyroid may be from the anterior pituitary secreting too much thyroid stimulating hormone, but any autoimmune disease anywhere in the body, whether it's diabetes or autoimmune disease linked to uh, multiple sclerosis or Sjogren's disease or, or lupus or just some sub subclinical smoldering autoimmune disease process, which doesn't have a name given to it, that's a real common uh, sequelae, uh, can cause uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And the last thing I'll say about, uh, well, I'm going to mention selenium, is that the proper dose for selenium is usually between 50 and 100 uh, micro, uh, micrometers a day. I'm sorry, micrograms uh, per day. And that's if you are being monitored because selenium can also be toxic. At some point in the future, I'm going to do a show which I know I'm going to call the reverse effect because nutrients at one level can have one effect, but at the opposite level can have the completely opposite effect. So for example, uh, vitamin A at one level like deficiency can cause night blindness and in excess could damage your eyes. Vitamin C at one level, a low level, let's say relatively, can act as an antioxidant, but at a very high level can act as an oxidant. Zinc at a low level can boost the immune system, but at a higher level depresses the immune system. I, I can go on and on. Reverse effects are very, very important, and uh, it's a concept that most people have never even heard of. So we'll handle that at a, uh, a later show. 
Now, in terms of Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune form of thyroid disease, it's important that, and, and also even if you, are, those of you out there have low thyroid, but it's not Hashimoto's, it's just a non-autoimmune, you, you want to have some of your relatives, your children certainly, and other relatives check their thyroid function because there's a much greater propensity for people in the, in the genetic tree to have some of these conditions or to eventually develop them. And if you check early enough, then you can find evidence for these on blood tests, and that's when nutrition really can help. Not, once you have the disease, it's much harder to help. And in particular with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, the relatives of those with Hashimoto's have a nine-fold increased risk for developing Hashimoto's compared to the general population. So the risk of developing Hashimoto's exceeds that of the general population at 20 years in females and 27 years in males. And in all this talk about the thyroid, it's not uh, too common to hear about one very special herb. And the name of that herb is Nigella sativa, N-I-G-E-L-L-A, sativa, S-A-T-I-V-A. So let's recap. Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disorder and the most common cause of hypothyroidism. Treatment of people with Hashimoto's with nigella sativa significantly reduces their body weight mass. It helps burn fat. The serum or the blood concentrations of TSH and antithyroid peroxidase and the uh, thyroglobulin antibodies decrease while the serum T3 concentrations increase after only eight weeks of taking this herb. Those are remarkable, remarkable findings. Now, that herb, as good as it is, works best when it's taken in a combination of a few other nutrients. I'm going to name them quickly because depending on our time today, I might not be able to go over them all. But we need a certain amount of vitamin A palmitate, roughly 2,500 IUs, a small amount of vitamin C that helps the thyroid gland going at about 200. Of course, you may take more for other reasons. Vitamin E, the D-alpha-tocopherol-sussanate form, 200 IUs. Now, for those of you who are possibly deficient in iodine, you want to start with potassium iodide at about 200 micrograms. As far as zinc, which is responsible also for thyroid hormone balance and thyroid hormone conversion, the best zinc, I think, is what's called zinc bisglycinate, bisglycinate chelate, okay? That's zinc bisglycinate chelate, around 20 milligrams, not a lot. And the selenium, I like a form which is a, a registered form. I don't make it, but I, I pay for its use. It's uh, called seleno uh, Excel, and it's a selenium-enriched yeast form. We need a small amount of copper at about one milligram, N-acetylcysteine bumps up the glutathione peroxidase enzyme at about 500 milligrams. The tyrosine, as I've told you, is the T in T3 and T4. We need about 400 milligrams a day. Ashwagandha, very important, 300 milligrams a day. Google resin at 150. And turmeric root extract at about 100. So I put those all together in my thyroid factors product. And I'll start with that as a baseline for people. And then depending on the rest of their health, I adjust the dietary lifestyle and the other nutritional supplements around, uh, around that particular product. Now, I haven't yet 
distinguished for you what causes Hashimoto's. Yes, I said that there may genetic, be genetic factors and environmental factors and nutritional factors and immune factors. So I gave you a little hint, but we need to review more of this immune uh, process. So what generally happens is this. For whatever reason or reasons, the thyroid gland itself starts to break down and it does not look like its normal thyroid tissue. So your immune system notices that difference and says, I'm going to rid the body of this foreign material. So it produces antibodies, which are anti the body, and they attack the thyroid gland. So in reality, the thyroid gland is really an innocent bystander, which then becomes part of a problem and a vicious cycle because as it breaks down, the immune system kicks in. And then as the immune system kicks in, it, the immune system breaks down the thyroid gland. So this is vicious cycle of breakdown. That is what autoimmune disease is. And because thyroid hormone, as I said when I opened the show, has thyroid hormone receptors in every tissue in the body, you can imagine what a big problem this is because now you can have symptoms virtually anywhere in the body from thyroid disease. So, but whether you're talking about Hashimoto's, which is the autoimmune form of hypothyroidism, or whether you're talking about just breakdown of the thyroid and hypothyroid, I believe there's inflammation involved in both. And although you may have been tested at one point in your life and your doctor says, I don't, I, your test is negative for antibodies, you may want to look at the results yourself. Because I would say easily half the time I look at the blood work, the, the patient actually does have, uh, does have evidence of Hashimoto's, but their doctor said, nope, they just had regular thyroid. And the reason they make this mistakes, everyone, is because the antibodies were measured against the thyroid hormone and the enzyme, but they were in the normal range. If you have any amount of, of antibodies against your thyroid hormone, or I should say your thyroid gland, then you've got some percentage of autoimmune stress, right? Of course. But medical diagnosis for Hashimoto's is based upon when the levels of the thyroid peroxidase antibodies or the thyroglobulin antibodies are out of the set ranges by the labs. If they're one point lower, or if they're present at all, but under the range, under the clinical range, the person is said to have a non-autoimmune hypothyroidism. I always treat my patients as if they have an immune component to their thyroid because if I do it right, I can't hurt them. Nutrition, when used correctly, is very, very safe. It's certainly a lot safer than Synthroid. So... If you at any point in your life had some evidence of low thyroid, get your thyroid hormones checked again. Get the antibodies checked. If you've ever had any treatment with radioactive iodine or any antithyroid medication like methimazole, which they give for hyperthyroidism or Graves' disease, you have to get your thyroid checked regularly. When I look at thyroid levels on the blood, I do not just compare your results to the average ranges that are in the what they call the normal levels for any of the thyroid hormones or those antibodies. I have different ranges, which are based on research that I've done, which means that I might look at your thyroid hormones and have a tighter or lower range of acceptance. Meaning I might find, I might look, think of it this way. If I compare you to healthy, super healthy people, the thyroid 
hormone normals for those super healthy people, when you compare yours to them, might be really abnormal. But if you compare your levels to the average person, which is what your doctors are doing with the clinical ranges as they're called on blood testing, your levels might be fine. So the blood detective way of interpreting labs is comparing you to healthy, not merely average, although I do both. If you've ever had any radiation therapy to your head, your neck, your upper chest, you, you have to have your thyroid hormones checked. Not only that, you want to take superfood products that have tons of phytonutrients. So I put together four. I call them detox, DTOX, one, two, three, and four. And for the average individual that's not on blood thinners, meaning it's safe to take these nutrients, these superfood powders, they have tens of thousands of phytonutrients. A good number of them have been studied to reduce the effects of radiation exposure, not only radiation exposure you might get now, but radiation exposure that you may have had in the past. So I did a show all about radiation dangers, and it was called Radiation Dangers. You should look that up on my blog at www.integratednutritionny.com. For those of you, again, who are just joining us, my name is Dr. Michael Wald. We're talking everything about hypothyroidism, right? I mean, this is, this is everything. I mean, if I, were giving a, if I were to give a professional talk on hypothyroidism, this is the exact information that I'd be talking about. And in fact, I will be giving a, a, giving a talk on hypothyroidism as a webinar. For those of you who are interested in being notified about that webinar, please email me at info at blooddetective.com. It'll be a two-hour talk from, I think, 7 p.m., to 9 uh, p.m. and it'll be a little bit more info, but a lot more practical nutrition uh, in that particular talk for the clinician, for the nutrition-related doctor or nutritionist. But just to complete my thought about radiation exposures is that in Radiation Dangers, the radio show, I actually give the medical references for how specific phytonutrients do reduce the damaging effects of uh, radiation. And this is never, never, never talked about in regular medicine. It's astounding to me. It's astounding to me. So detox one, two, three, and four are composed of a variety of plant products. If you are of normal weight, I would say take one half a scoop of each of these products mixed together all at once, diluted in water to taste, or put into your smoothie. If you're overweight by 10 pounds or more, you want to take one level scoop of each. The equivalent nutrition is is that of 60 or 70 pieces of plant products. So you're going to get a lot of phytonutrients in there. And I should say that my detox products were not the products that were studied against the radiation damage I just mentioned, but many of the ingredients in my products were the ones that were studied. So it's essential when you have any hypothyroid condition to look at the immune system's for example, the speed of white blood cells. Also to look at your blood sugar. What is your hemoglobin A1C? That's a roughly a three-month average of your blood sugar test. It's considered a diabetic test. If you're 5.7 or higher, you've got some insulin resistance. All forms of diabetes, both type 1 and 2, are now known to be autoimmune. So remember I said, if you have Hashimoto's, your chance of developing other autoimmune diseases are very high. Many of my patients, though, I might ask them about, you know, do you have a blood sugar problem? What's your blood pressure problem? How about your lipids? And they might have one or two out of three of those. And I, I might say to them, you know, you have, you, I think you have metabolic syndrome. Do you have this, this, and this? I'll say, oh, no, I only have two of those. Yes, but your body will develop the third given the fact you have these two other problems. So let me back up. First, I said, 
if you have Hashimoto's or any hypothyroid, you need to be very suspicious that you might have other autoimmune problems going on. You might have other autoimmune diseases going on, meaning you might have uh, diabetes. And this whole nonsense of people being told that their blood sugar is borderline is ridiculous. In other words, a 5.7 hemoglobin A1C is considered borderline for diabetes. But think about this. Your, think of your right hand versus your left hand, okay? Your right hand is normal blood sugar. Your left hand is diabetes. When you put your hands together, the time it takes in the space between your hands is the process of all the damage happening. So when you're 5.7, that's when all the damage is happening. But doctors are like, well, we'll watch your diet. You know, just don't eat sugars. They give you the silliest basic advice. Why? Because the average physician gets less than 30 hours of basic nutritional training in medical school. I will tell you from personal experience that nursing curriculum these days has a lot of nutrition, but the problem is they're not the ones who are prescribing the nutrition in a hospital setting and the doctors don't know any nutrition, so that's unfortunate. You might, I mean, there was a show that I did where I also discussed who do you go for for your nutrition? There is a PhD in nutrition, then there is a master's degree in nutrition, and there are, there's a certified nutrition specialist, and there's a certified clinical nutritionist, and then there's dietitians, and then there's chiropractors that have a lot of nutrition training, so, uh, and, and then there's sports nutrition certification, so I have all of those. The reason I have all of those is because I recognize early on that no one place of education has it all. And, you, and my personal opinion is, if you're going to get your nutrition right, you must see someone who has the education and the license to draw and read laboratory work. Because if you don't do that, you, could, you cannot be personalizing your nutrition. There's just no way to do it. I should mention that thyroid disease can also be triggered by any infectious agent. Infectious agents like a toxin, can trigger an autoimmune process. And if your thyroid gets in the way, you get thyroiditis. If your joints get in the way, you get autoimmune arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis. If your soft tissues get in the way, you get Sjogren's uh, syndrome or scleroderma. If the white matter nerves in your brain get in the way, then you get multiple sclerosis. You get the idea? So autoimmune disease always should be treated as a full body experience and never as only affecting one tissue, even if that one tissue is the only one showing symptoms at the time. And as far as who gets thyroid disease, particularly Hashimoto's, um, women are much more likely to get Hashimoto's than men, but men certainly get it. Any, at any age, Hashimoto's disease uh, can uh, be formed. And again, you're at higher risk of Hashimoto's if anyone in your family either has thyroid disease or any other autoimmune disease. So how do you recognize thyroid disease? Uh, you know, because this is really a big problem. Most physicians uh, miss these symptoms because they're minor or the symptoms are out of their area of specialty. So, and the, and the other factor is that a lot of these symptoms progress slowly over years and they cause not only thyroid damage, but they could cause damage to lots of different tissues. So the signs and the symptoms, 
You know, a sign is something you see and a symptom is something you experience. For hypothyroidism would, would certainly include, as I mentioned earlier in the show, sluggishness and fatigue. Because metabolic rate is slowed. You might experience an increased sensitivity to cold because your, your metabolic furnace has shut down. And because the, the energetics of your body are affected adversely, you might have constipation. Usually your skin will be dry. Uh, the skin also, you might get these bumps on the back of your arms, uh, which also could be from vitamin A deficiency and or essential fatty acids, both of which are related to thyroid function. You might get a puffy face because the body does tend to accumulate fluid when there is hypothyroidism. And I mentioned brittle nails, hair and teeth. Uh, hair loss in women, very common. I'll see women come in and they will have thinning hair in the front. And it's the first thing I notice because that's, I mean, I'm looking at a person right, as soon as they walk in the door. And then I say, you know, I noticed you didn't put hypothyroidism down on your, your history form. Oh, my, my thyroid is fine. My, my doctor said it's borderline. I'm like, oh. But what about your hair loss? And sometimes people don't notice the hair loss because that's just who they are and they've looked in the mirror every day and they never see it. And then family members and friends don't say anything. Maybe they don't see it, but often they're just, they don't want to embarrass the person. But it's very, very easy to see. If someone's a bit pale, if they complain of constipation, if they're a bit depressed, for example, and they've got some thinning hair in the front or they're telling me they're losing lots of hair, they've got hypothyroidism. And those symptoms may occur months to years before blood work shows anything. Then I'll have them stick out their tongue. Uh, enlargement of the tongue, which is called glossitis, is a, a very common symptom of hypothyroidism. Unexplained weight gain. Well, that's, that's easy to understand, but the weight gain is not the kind of weight you want. It's not the lean organ mass and the lean muscle mass. It's fat and water. Muscle aches, tenderness, stiffness. That'll happen because thyroid hormone has receptors in these tissues. And if thyroid hormone is not delivered to these tissues, the tissues start to create these adverse symptoms. But also, you know, when someone has hypothyroid, calcium is out of balance. And calcium, and this may not show up on the blood because the calcium can go into the muscles causing aches and tenderness and stiffness. Also that calcium, in the cases of hypothyroidism, comes out of the bone, so you have bone loss, osteopenia or osteoporosis, and then that calcium goes in the muscles and tissues I just mentioned, but it can also go into arteries, hardening them up. And since we know that hypothyroidism is associated with increased risk of breast cancer, well, that's easily explained at least by one mechanism, that calcium finds its way into the breast tissues, and that causes calcium-laden breast cysts, and that is very strongly uh, a factor in uh, the formation of breast cancer, uh, muscle weakness, uh, excessive or prolonged menstrual bleeding. Uh, that, that's very common. Remember, thyroid hormone does not exist in a vacuum. If it is imbalanced, every other hormone in the, in the body will be imbalanced. It's like having a soup. If you remove the salt from the soup, the flavor of everything in the soup changes. If you mess around with thyroid hormone, you're going to cause issues with other hormones like a follicle-stimulating hormone, a luteinizing hormone, a progesterone, and or estrogen. Depression. So, there's so many reasons why hypothyroidism can cause depression. One is that just the fact that the brain is not triggered by the thyroid hormones in their receptors can cause depression. But hypothyroidism usually results in a malabsorption, not absorbing normally, let's say proteins. If you don't absorb proteins which contain tyrosine, 
then you can't make thyroid hormone. But if you cannot, if you don't have, let's say, the amino acids to make GABA, gamma aminobutyric acid, which increases mood, or other amino acids which you need to form neurotransmitters in the brain, like tryptophan forming serotonin, these are problems, can cause depression, can also cause anxiety, uh, sleep problems, memory lapses. So many people have memory problems from hypothyroidism. They were, they're diagnosed with dementia, and it's not that, although there's a lot of dementia. And I've got a book which I'm writing, which is uh, probably going to be called Saving Your Brain, which you'll hear about more uh, on, on later shows. Also, if you have symptoms like fatigue, like with no reason, that is usually hypothyroidism. If you've got dry skin, if you've got a puffy face, if you've got constipation, you want to see your nutritional practitioner for these. You certainly need to be checked for other autoimmune diseases. I named uh, type 1 diabetes. I mentioned rheumatoid arthritis. These are big ones. Lupus, they usually occur. Uh, and also uh, celiac disease. Gluten, as you might expect, can trigger Hashimoto's thyroiditis, but gluten intolerance or celiac disease can trigger many, many other autoimmune diseases. Basically, the body eats gluten. The body doesn't like the gluten protein structure that makes it gluten, so it attacks it. But if that structure of the gluten that you're eating looks a lot like your skin, then you get dermatitis repetiformis. If the body attacks that gluten and that gluten looks like your white matter in your brain, then you get multiple sclerosis. If the gluten... Uh, that you consume looks like the structure of the lining or the villi of the small intestine, then you get the characteristic symptoms of loss of the absorptive cells of celiac disease, and, and the list goes on and on. You certainly might have an enlarged thyroid gland. That's something that a doctor generally would have to feel, uh, although many people might notice it looking right in the mirror. You might have heart problems. Uh, you might have those palpitations I mentioned, or you just might have high lipids, high blood fats. So meaning that when the thyroid function is low, your ability to burn fats is poor, right? We said that. So you can gain weight, but you will also can gain total cholesterol. Your LDL cholesterol, the bad stuff, may go up. All of that from hypothyroid. And it's not a dietary cause. It's a thyroid cause. So that needs to be treated appropriately. But a lot of doctors just say, here's a statin medication for you to take. You might have, again, very mental issues. You might have depression or poor uh, stress anxiety. You might have no libido. Your mental functioning just might be low. These are also symptoms of hypothyroidism. And then there is a rare life-threatening condition that can develop due to long-term hypothyroidism as a result of having Hashimoto's disease that's not treated. So it's called myxedema. And basically the symptoms could include things like drowsiness uh, followed by like really, really profound lethargy and, and then unconsciousness. People you know, tell me that they faint and then I'm like, oh, and I checked them and there you go, untreated Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Uh, birth defects, people who uh, have babies that are uh, the, the, the women who, who birth these children, if they're hypothyroidism, that can result in all sorts of special needs issues and, and uh, uh, memory and intelligence, developmental problems. And then I mentioned too that there can be all sorts of uh, hormone tests that are imbalanced uh, if you have Hashimoto's. There may be antibodies against many, many tissues, not just the thyroid and the thyroid's enzymes.
I mentioned too that on the opposite end of the spectrum, excessive thyroid hormone can accelerate bone loss, but low thyroid function can cause bone loss and low thyroid function people treated with thyroid hormone, whether it's nature thyroid or armor thyroid or synthroid can all get bone loss issues. Then the question uh, is asked to me, okay, so what is the best form of thyroid hormone, natural or synthetic? Okay, I'll give you the politically correct answer, natural. Natural because it's natural and that's basically it because it's natural. Um, But now let me give you the truth. Uh, Nature thyroid is natural if you're a pig or a cow uh, who have very different uh, thyroid hormone needs than humans. And the... uh, the armor thyroid, for example, the nature thyroid, uh, they are not standardized, which means from one batch to the other, you could be, be consuming different amounts of thyroid hormone, and that can be very confusing to your endocrine balance. I believe that a person should start with a synthetic form of thyroid hormone for stability, fix the nutrition, and then if that individual would like to get off thyroid hormone, then we try. And then that's the other question. Can a person get off thyroid hormone? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. There's a lot of factors that need to be considered uh, regarding that. The length of time that the person is on the thyroid hormone, whether it's natural or synthetic, and, and many other factors. But it is possible. It has happened. But the answer that you will get from most traditional physicians is, no, you've been on it too long. If you've been on it six weeks, eight weeks, two, three months, four months, six months, probably you can. It, again, it depends on many, many factors. And the time we have left, very important. I want to go through the fact that a person could have digestive problems. They may not have digestive symptoms, but you might have low stomach acid. You might have a probiotic imbalance in your gut. You might have enzyme deficiencies. These are things that I can check. And uh, the, these may precipitate uh, thyroid problems or autoimmune disease. If you cannot absorb nutritional factors for the correction of thyroid or any tissues, then those tissues break down and the immune system kicks in. And then people ask me, what about, should I eliminate coffee? What about sugar? Yes, you want to eliminate sugar, including the refined carbohydrates like the white flours and the desserty foods. Of course you do. Uh, and you, you want to eliminate gluten, in my opinion. You want to eat GMO. And as far as uh, caffeine, um, caffeine, if you are taking thyroid hormone, Caffeine may diminish your absorption of the uh, thyroid hormone medication. However, caffeine is an element, is a compound in an herb. Uh, It's an herb. So it also can stimulate metabolic rate. So it might actually help your thyroid. So it's not that caffeine is necessarily a bad thing all the way around. In fact, it can be very useful in thyroid disease, but not if you're already on thyroid hormone. And what about what about soy? People ask me about soy all the time in thyroid. Well, you know, whether it's tofu or soy milk or these fake soy meats or energy bars, um, the thing is that soy, if it is non-GMO, uh, it, it, well, here's a, here's a long and short of it. Soy has, mol- has chemicals that look like hormones. They're not hormones, but they can look like thyroid hormones. They also have compounds that look like estrogen and progesterone because we've all heard about soy having phytoestrogens or phytoprogesterone. First of all, that's not true. There's no hormones in soy. 
but there are compounds that look very similar. So we talked about those receptors. Think of your hand as a cup, cup it up. That's a receptor. If you take your other hand and put it in your cupped hand, the hand you're putting in is the, is the soy. Now, it can kind of fit in your other hand, but if you change the, the configuration of your other hand, it, you can make it so it doesn't quite fit. It kind of bounces in and out. My point is that the so-called hormones in soy can, can stimulate the receptors and give the body the impression, whatever tissue that has that that receptor, breast tissue, brain tissue, thyroid tissue, whatever, that there is some thyroid hormone there, or it can do just the opposite. It can block it. So I don't recommend, that was a complicated topic, I understand, but it's important that uh, soy is not something I recommend for those with thyroid disease. Well, I think that's quite enough about the thyroid today. I hope this information was useful. Please join me on our next show, Ask the Blood Detective. I'm not going to tell you the topic yet, but look for it posted up on the uh, the website. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. You can reach me to work with me as a patient or to have a distance consultation with me at 914-552-1442. You send me those questions at my email at info at blooddetective.com. And please visit the website at www.integratednutritionny.com. And I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. I've done